service. I said, good morning, Generations Church. How are we doing today? We doing good? Man, you guys look good today. Uh, I'm excited to dive into the Word this morning uh, and continue on in our series on prayer. I heard a story by uh, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. that goes like this. A, a Christian lady who lived next door to an atheist. Every day she would pray. And the atheist guy could hear her praying. He thought to himself, she sure is crazy praying like that all the time. Doesn't she know there isn't a God? Many times while she was praying, he would go to her house and harass her saying, lady, why are you praying all the time? Don't you know there is no God? But she kept on praying. One day she ran out of groceries as usual, first thing she did was drop to her knees and began praying to the Lord, explaining her situation and thanking him for what he was going to do. Man, let me pause there. Come on, when you're going through, will you just drop to your knees, pray to the Lord and thank him for what he's going to do? Come on. As usual, the atheist heard her praying and thought to himself, hmm, I can fix this. He went out to the grocery store. Bought a whole bunch of groceries, took them to her house, dropped them off on the front step, rang the doorbell, and then went and hid in the bushes. When she opened the door and saw the groceries, she began praising God, singing songs, dancing around, and saying, Thank you, Lord, for providing. Then the atheist jumped out of the bushes and said, you crazy old lady, God didn't buy you those groceries. I did, because there is no God. This made this old lady start praising even louder. She began running up and down the streets. She was singing to God. She was thanking him for providing. And when the atheist finally caught up to her, he said, what is your problem? I bought you those groceries. She said, I knew the Lord was going to provide. I just didn't know he was going to use the devil to do it for me. Come on. Amen, church. Are you hearing me today? Come on. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you are needing, but there is a God who is going to use all kinds of people to answer your prayers this morning. Come on. Today, I'm excited to continue into week eight of our series on prayer. Say prayer. And before I get started, let's pray. Dear Jesus, I just thank you today. God, I thank you for being a God that is closer than a closest friend, closer than a brother. I thank you for being a God who hears our prayers, who is not off in the distance, God. But you are right next to us. And I pray that you be with us today. I pray that you would remove me out of the way. God, let these words come directly from you. Use me, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Pastor Noah Belt. I serve as your youth pastor here at Generations alongside my wife, Julia, where it is our honor and privilege uh, to get to be a part of this amazing church. And I also want to take a second to shout out my amazing team that helps me run the youth ministry, because uh, I couldn't do it without them. First off, I'd like to shout out Jackson Sellers. Jackson was, yeah, come on, give it up for him. 
Jackson was one of my first students and then became the church intern over the summer, and now he's a part of our team. And, and thank you, Jackson, for serving every week. I, I couldn't do it without you, and I appreciate you. And, and the other amazing member of our youth team is Alec Valdefania. Alec is all the way in the back row. Come on. Give it up for Alec. Alec is our youth supervisor. He comes every week uh, and is loved by every single person in our our youth ministry. Uh, And most importantly of all, he helps me keep uh, the youth students in check because I need that. Um, And I want to give an extra special shout out because today is Alec's birthday. Oh, come on. So when you see him later, make sure you tell him happy birthday and make sure you thank him for being so faithful and helping me lead the youth ministry. Uh, This last eight weeks, we walked through... Uh, Tyler Statton's book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. It's up there on the screen. I would encourage you to read this book. It, It is an amazing book on the power of prayer. In week one, we learn how we should start praying as we can. Then in week two, we learned how to get into an appropriate posture of prayer. Week three, we continued on and we added adoration into our daily prayer life. Week four, we added confession Week five was all about intercessional prayer, and this one was one of my favorites because it said, as on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, we are praying for it to be on earth just as it is in heaven. Week six, we added in daily bread, and Pastor Andrew encouraged us uh, and, and challenged us to to have prayers that are so confident in God as our provider that you can ask just for enough for today. Give us today our daily bread. And then he went on to say, and have the same amount of faith that God is going to provide tomorrow. Give us today our daily bread. And then last week, he went into praying as participants. And a reminder that we are created to be servants of the kingdom of God. Has this been beneficial to your life? Has this series helped challenge your prayer life? Because, man, I have a word today that is going to challenge you uh, because it challenged me. And I want to take the next 25 minutes or so to talk about praying for the lost. Say lost. I believe to my core. Oh, you don't have to keep repeating me. Sorry. Uh, There's just one word. Uh, As a youth pastor, you have to ask for participation or else the students, you you get like maybe two minutes with them. Uh, And so if I ask for participation, bear with me. Uh, But I believe praying for the lost is one of the most important prayers we get to pray daily. Right? Praying for the lost is one of the most important prayers we can make daily. And we should be laboring in prayer For those who have not yet accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In this book, Tyler Shattens opens up with a a story about a man named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a, a 19th century traveling preacher who was one of the most influential evangelists in the modern church era. He was one of nine children born to a single mother who struggled to keep food on the table. For his first job, he was a shoe salesman in Boston with only a fifth grade education. 
Moody came to faith at the age of 17, and immediately he began preaching to overlooked and marginalized teens. He went on to travel the world, drawing in crowds of as large as 30,000 people to hear him speak these sermons. Many considered him to be one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century. His entire evangelistic strategy was one thing, prayer. That's it. And what he's actually most famous for is he would keep a list in his pocket of 100 names of friends who had not yet found a relationship with Jesus. 100 names on a physical piece of paper in his pocket that he would pray for daily. But here's the thing about it. This, this labor of love was a secret hidden prayer on their behalf. He pled with God to reveal himself each day in a way that they would be able to perceive and receive him and his eternal love and make them, make him their savior. And he prayed by name for their salvation every day. When he died, real quick, I, I love this part of the story. When he died, 96 out of the 100 people had come to know Jesus and accept him as their savior. 96% success rate. Man, what would your prayer life look like if 96% of the people that you were praying for came to know Jesus? And it was told that actually at his funeral, they gave this story and they, they read through the list of 100 people. And the last four remaining people were actually in attendance at his funeral. And that day, they individually made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is amazing. Come on, give it up. I want to ask you to church, are you praying for your friends? Are you praying for your family members? Are you praying for your neighbors? Are you praying for your coworkers who have not yet accepted Jesus? I want to challenge you to start praying for them. And, and hopefully that story inspires you. Because man, it inspired me. Today I want to open our Bible up to 1 Kings chapter 18. If you have your Bible, please read along with me. I got a lot of scripture for today. Let's, let's be real transparent. I got a lot of Bible that we're going to uh, because Jesus is good and his word is good uh, and they're a whole lot better than mine. Uh, so we're going to be reading through 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, and so if you'd like to turn there, I'm reading out of NLT, New Living Translation. Verse 1 opens up. It says, later on in the third year of drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. To cut a little bit of this story and save some time, I'd like to give you some context. Elijah is a prophet, right? Talking to a very desperate political leader. King Ahab was the leader of a starving nation. Under King Ahab's leadership, the economy had collapsed, people had suffered, and I would assume that blame and criticism is something he was facing daily. However, he is still a king, right? And so even though his people are suffering, 
He is likely still eating fresh bread daily. He's still having a nice stew daily. But this was a three-year-long famine, and the common people of the city had run out of their rations. And they had to make decisions on who they were going to feed. Were they going to feed the mother or the baby? Were they going to feed the grandparents or the children? In the midst of this situation, Elijah locks eyes with King Ahab and says confidently to him, the drought and famine will come to an end. Let's continue on. 1 Kings 18, verse 16, if you're following along with me, it says, So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went down to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So, it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. Wouldn't you be liked to be known as a troublemaker for the kingdom of God? Come on. Man, if I want to be known for anything, I I would love to have that as my title. Uh, Verse 18 says, I have made no trouble for Israel. He clapped back. Elijah replied, you and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord, and you have worshiped the images of Baal instead. Baal is a false god that they are worshiping at the time. Verse 19, he said, now summon all of Israel. And join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Are you guys following along with me? Don't let me lose you yet. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between your two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Verse 22, then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bowls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they would like to cut into pieces and lay on the wooden altar without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl, lay it on a wooden altar, but not set fire to it. Then... Call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by sending fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls, go prepare it, and name And call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared the bulls, placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. They then danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You have to shout louder. Like, can you imagine this? I can imagine this. For surely he is a God, right? Uh, perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. Like, that, that's a call out right there. Like, hey, maybe he's on the potty. Like, <laughs> have you tried yelling a little louder? Or maybe he is away on a trip. Like, maybe your God's on vacation and doesn't take prayer requests at that time. Or is asleep and needs to be wakened. Verse 28, keep following me. So they shouted louder and following their normal customs. This part's crazy. I don't support this one bit. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. That is gross. Uh, Verse 29, they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. 
But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Verse 30, it's about to get good. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Come on, somebody. Sometimes people are going to try to tear down what God has spoken to you, and you're going to have to put in work to repair it. I'm preaching. Come on. Verse 31, he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And then he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug out a trench around the large altar, or large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood onto the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces of the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offerings of the wood. See, he didn't have to do that, right? He didn't have to pour water on wood. Can you set fire to wood if it's wet? No, that's crazy. Come on, grab this. But remember, what are they going through right now? They're going through a drought. They're going through a famine. He wanted to show that sometimes it's going to take some sacrifice for God to step in. Sometimes you're going to have to put work in for God to come in and invade things, all right? And God is powerful. Come on, I I feel like we know the end of the story already. But he keeps going. He says, after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And once they were finished, he said, now a third time. Like, come on, man. And then as he did this, the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time of the offerings in the evening, sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Verse 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up all the water in the trench. Verse 39, and when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. God longs for the lost to be found. He longs for non-believers to experience His presence. He longs for non-believers to experience His power. He longs for non-believers to experience miracles. He longs for the lost. My first point today is simple. There's a kind of prayer that gives birth to new life. Say new life. Prayer changes things. I'm almost done with Scripture, but we got a little bit more because it gets better. 1 Kings 18.41 says, goes on to say, Elijah prays for rain. Verse 41, then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm is coming. He's saying that God is not done yet. He showed him that he was the one true God by this act of miracle, Right? But now he's saying, God is going to meet your physical needs as well. 
God doesn't just do it to provide a show. He is still meeting physical needs today. Come on. Verse 42, so Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bowed low to the ground, and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to the servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went out, looked, but returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. In this story, he sends this, this poor servant boy out seven times. Seven times he, he sent him out saying, hey, go look for a cloud. And he kept coming back saying, there is no cloud. Like, if I was that servant boy, at, at what point in time would I be like, Elijah, I know that your God is the true God, but maybe is your timing a little off? Like, are, are you sure you didn't say tomorrow? Like, I've gone out. It's a little bit of a hike. I'm a little winded. Um, like, are, are you 100%? But verse 44 says, finally, the seventh time, seventh number of completion, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Again, I'm not trying to be skeptical, but if I'm the servant, I'd be like, Ahab, I said the size of a hand, like, hand, not that much water, like, what, what do you mean? Again, good thing I'm not, because in verse 45, it says, and as soon the sky was black with clouds, a heavy wind brought a ter ter terrific storm, sorry about that, terrific storm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength, I like to call them superpowers, to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Three years into a drought, a massive downpour overtakes the city. A celebration breaks out in the streets. Could you imagine being alive at this point in time where you had just gone through famine, you had gone through drought, and now the rain is here. Your needs are being met. This is the climactic moment of Elijah's story. And hear me, church, I love how Tyler Statton, Statton describes this in his book. He said, but the thing is, is God doesn't dream of a church on fire. God doesn't dream of, of all of us being on fire, right? Because that would be contained by these walls. What, what God dreams for is a city to be reborn. He did these miracles not so that it would stay in the church, but that it would go and it would expand out through the cities. God does not want Generations Church to be a church on fire. God wants San Bernardino to be reborn. God wants California to be reborn. God wants the United States to be reborn. God wants the world to be reborn. But don't get me wrong. God, God loves when the church grows. It's just that God's dream isn't that we necessarily grow in numbers or add another worship service or, or put on a cool holiday show. That's all fine. But God dreams about pouring His Spirit onto the people because God 
is jealous. He is jealous for relationship. He is jealous. His jealousy longs for every last soul because he creates each one of us individually and uniquely. His jealousy longs for every ounce of his creation and dreams of a city reborn. And Elijah's story tells us clearly that God's dream starts with a church on fire, right? It starts with a church on fire. But that's just the vehicle that gets us moving toward God's true longing of a city reborn. Point number two is prayer for the lost is slow. Say slow. The sort of prayer that gives birth to new life is slow. Maybe you have a friend or family member or coworker or neighbor that you've been praying for, right? And you've been praying and praying. God, place them on your heart. And maybe they make a little sprinkle of interest that, hey, maybe, maybe that God thing is real. Maybe, and then you keep pressing and you keep praying and, and you keep bringing up maybe your church or your, your Bible study or, or your faith and conversations, but nothing happens. How many of us are, are sitting here today and maybe that's happened to you? You keep praying, but, but what if in seven weeks or seven months or, or seven years, what, whatever it is, maybe 10 years, 20 years, finally something happens. Finally God comes to them. Would it be worth it? 100%. Because prayer for the lost is slow. How long are you willing to pray? I had a job as a corporate trainer, uh, and, and I remember training people and, and sometimes just getting so frustrated when people couldn't pick up simple tasks, like just incredibly frustrated when I'm like, just follow the process. Step one leads to step two, like it's all documented here, and some people just wouldn't give it. And there was a point in time where I would have to sit down with them and be like, <laughs> Maybe this isn't the career path for you. Like, it's better to find out early. Like, but I only had so much time that I could personally allocate to an individual before we had to have this tough conversation about moving forward and parting ways. But this is not how prayer and salvation works. We're talking about salvation is eternal, church. No matter how many times I think, man, God, today's going to be the prayer that changes their life. What if it's not? I'm going to still pray tomorrow. Because it's bigger than, than my inconveniencedness of my time. Right? It's bigger than me trying to understand. Right? Like, I, I can teach you, but I can't understand for you. Right? Who knows what's going to make it click? For. But salvation is eternal and praying is slow. First Thessalonians 5.17 puts this very simple for us. It says, never stop praying. Never cease praying. My third and final point is this. Prayer for the lost is unglamorous. Prayer for the lost is unglamorous. 
unglamorous. See, calling down fire from heaven, 100%, that's glamorous. That's cool. Uh, he was probably the talk of the whole town. Everybody was probably like, they'd see him walking and be like, not going to mess with that guy. Or they all wanted to be his friend. I don't know, one or the other. But there was a moment in the Bible, get this, when Jesus' disciples, his closest 12, decided they wanted to recreate this Elijah's fire miracle when the Samaritans rejected Jesus, right? Like, that's a good time to do it. You would reject the Son of God. Maybe we'll smite him with fire. And they wanted to recreate this. But in Luke 9, 54 through 56, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. 56, so they went on to another village. I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's pretty firm, straightforward, no. <laughs> but it's in the secret, unglamorous part of, of Elijah's life that we are called to biblically imitate. When he went up to Mount Carmel and he, he got down on his knees and he put his head between his knees and he prayed. There was no one around. Like sure, the calling down fire was cool. Everybody got to see it. The lives were transformed. But it's in the secret prayer where God moves. James 5 also reads, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He prayed earnestly. Because Elijah was a human being, like me and you. But when he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, it didn't. And when he prayed earnestly that it would rain, God provided. Because in our flesh, we have an appetite for the fame and the credit to sometimes go to us. Right? It's easy to want to be acknowledged or recognized for when God is moving. But God moves for us when we have an appetite for new life. God moves for us when we have an appetite for the lost, for lives to be transformed. Because it's so easy to say, I, I want to be there when the fire is falling, right? I want to be there, God, when you're casting down miracles. I want to see revival. But fewer are ready to sit in a place of secret prayer. Because prayer is not glamorous. But hear me, it is powerful and effective. God is delighted by a growing passion for worship within a believing community. And Elijah repaired that altar before calling down fire. Do you remember that? He repaired that altar before calling down fire. That took work pouring out these large barrels of water onto the altar in the midst of a drought. That took sacrifice. And in those instances, when the church gathers to worship and pray, Jesus is there. God ignites the church because He longs for the city. God ignites the believer because He longs for the unbeliever. So in closing, how? How do we put this into practice? 
right? I said a whole lot, but what, what does it mean? How can we take this into our daily lives? I think we need to start by asking God to, to, for you to see your daily routine from his divine perspective. Close your eyes real quick. Let your imagination run through your day to day. The colleagues you work with, the circle of friends you socialize with, maybe the person at the convenience store or the restaurant that you routinely breeze past. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to walk you through your average week. Pray that He would imaginatively let you see life through the eyes of a holy, loving, ever-pursuing God that is passionate about the lost. As you see your life from His perspective, who do you notice? Is there someone that God is placing on your heart right now that you may be overlooking? Someone you are counting out who God's inviting you to notice. And lastly, I, I want you to look up. I, uh, this morning as I was running through my sermon, I, I felt challenged by God to do like D.L. Moody did and to, to write names down. And I didn't have anybody in my mind. I just sat there and it was just like God flooded my imagination and, and my mind with these names. And they just kept coming. And pretty soon I filled this whole piece of paper. I have 34 names written down currently that I, that I routinely work with or I routinely pass by that have not accepted God in. And I want to challenge you to do the same thing. Maybe you don't want to carry a physical piece of paper, uh, although I, I do think that that is probably best. Right? But maybe you set a reminder on your phone and you have a note in there with all these names. Or maybe you place this paper on, on your mirror or your refrigerator somewhere you go every day and you pray over the lost. Pray for the names. Pray specifically enough that you'll know if God answers your prayer. And regularly enough that endures, endurance and labor is required. Along the way, you may need to ask God for a renewed faith, that he's actually listening, or for a renewed compassion for the individuals you are praying for. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, I thank you for today. God, thank you that our heart can be like yours. God, thank you that you have placed the burden on our hearts for the lost. God, I pray that lives would be transformed, God, that you would place right now our friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, God, on our heart that, that may not know who you are. And God, that we would have an urge to connect with them and show them who you are. And God, maybe we would just pray in the secret place for a while. God, that we would prepare for a conversation if it comes up. God, but that it would be between us and you. God, that it's not for the show. 
God, that it's not for our own fame or our own glory, but it's for you. God, that we would not be a church that is only on fire, but God, that we would have a passion for a city to be reborn. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. As you go today, I want to encourage you, don't let this activity be diminished to an item on your agenda. Ask for faith, hope, and love, and motivation as you go, and pray for new life as the results of this laboring prayer. Go in praying for the lost today, Generations Church.